So, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn in your Bibles to a familiar verse that we've gone through for the past couple of weeks, Isaiah chapter 9. We're going through this, these four titles that Isaiah ascribed to Jesus. And over the past few weeks, the first week that we were in this series, we looked at Jesus being our wonderful counselor, of being the God who wants to guide us, the God who wants to shepherd us, the God who wants to lead us in all things in life. The person that we can call to when we have a decision to make, the person we can trust to guide us onto the right path in our life. Last week we talked about Jesus being mighty God and how him and how making him Lord and Savior of our life gives us all the power and protection and presence that we might need or might even desire in our life. This week we're going to be looking at a very intimate title that God wants us to explore. And that is Jesus as Everlasting Father. And that word Father, that can stir up some emotions inside of us, depending on how you were brought up. In our Western culture, it's an interesting phenomenon. I was reading this actually in my psychology books over the last couple of years when I was taking psychology. And they say that most people get their ideas about God from their fathers. In other words, how they view and see their father and how their father treated them is kind of how they will look at the Father God of Christianity. And for some, that, that can be a source of comfort and strength. If you had a good father, fathers can be great sources of wisdom. And if they're done well, those fathers can set an example of godliness that can last for generations and generations and generations. And I know that, though, for some, the word father can also be a source of pain. Maybe you had an abusive father, and therefore when you look at, at fatherhood and you look at God, you think more of Zeus sitting on a thunder, or sitting on a cloud somewhere with a thunderbolt in his hand ready to throw it down at you at the first time you mess up. Or maybe your father was there in a the home, but he was a workaholic. And he worked and worked and worked, and he thought that's all that being a father was, just providing for his family, but he was largely absent in your life. And for others, the picture that comes to your mind when I say the word father is simply a blank. You don't know him, never met him. He just wasn't there in your life at all. Then there are some who had really, really bad fathers, maybe abusive fathers, so that, that idea of father is a source of pain. And perhaps it's some of the, the source of some of the many struggles that you face every day in trusting people, and most of all, in trusting God. A moment ago, I mentioned before that people get their idea of God from their relationships with their fathers. And therefore, it's very important for us to see exactly what God is trying to tell us this morning when he's describing the Messiah as the perfect father who will never leave us, never forsake us, never abuse us, never do all these things that worldly fathers can do, but be the perfect father who wants to draw us into his family forever. Amen. So we're going to read the verses in Isaiah chapter 9 with that in mind. And we're going to start out with Isaiah 9 verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephitali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. Skipping down to verse 6. For to us, a child is born, 
To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Let's pray. Father God, of all the titles that we get into during this series, this is the one that is the most sensitive and yet one of the most important for us to explore. I ask, Father, that you take away any blinders of hurt, any blinders of resentment, any blinders of pain that might come from that title, Father. And help us to see it the way that you meant it to be. And only the way you meant it to be here in our earthly fathers, but the way that you are as our heavenly father. And what Jesus can provide for us. Lord God, I ask that you be with us in the next few minutes. And and use this message to bring healing to our spirits. I ask this in your name. Amen. So this morning we're going to be examining what it meant for the people Isaiah was prophesying to in telling them that the Messiah would be an everlasting father. It's going to be a harder message for some. I started out this morning acknowledging that the idea of father stirs up some negative emotions for some. To be honest and transparent with you, that's what it it leads for me. My parents separated when I was five. And the next seven years of my life were spent being tossed kind of back and forth between mom and dad and other relatives. And to be honest, when I look back on my life, when I was thinking and meditating for this message, I looked back on it and, and thought, man, if Jerry Springer had been around there, he probably wouldn't even let us on a show because it was so weird and, and some of the things that were going on in my childhood. And I say that to understand that if some of you might have some pain about talking about fathers, I'm there with you, and I understand. And God understands. God knows this also. Which is why he told his prophet to tell the people that this Messiah that was going to be born in Bethlehem is going to be an everlasting father for you. And that's where we're going today. First, a little bit of historical context about the words that we read a few moments ago. When we look at Isaiah's prophecies, one of the things that we have to consider is the geographic area in what we commonly call Israel at this time in history when Isaiah was given this prophecy was actually two separate kingdoms. The United Kingdom of Israel was formed under King David and passed on to his son Solomon. After Solomon died, two sons split up the kingdom. Jeroboam formed the northern kingdom of Israel with 10 of the 12 tribes and moved it north and moved the capital north into a city called Samaria. His other son, Solomon's other son, Rehoboam, formed the southern kingdom, which was called Judah with two other tribes and kept Jerusalem as their capital. The kingdom in the north is called Israel. The kingdom in the south is called Judah. The kingdom, northern kingdom of Israel is what we're talking about in Isaiah chapter 9. And Israel has had a very, very, very rocky relationship with God since they formed. When you look at the kings that they had, the leadership that they had, 
every single one of them. You can kind of maybe pick out two of them that were a little marginal, but for the most part, they were all pagans. They're all into worshiping other gods. And when we worship another god, we're not talking, oh, they converted to Buddhism and they were really nice people. Or they converted to Hinduism and, and they tried to do good with people. No, they, they converted all the way over here into satanic worship, child sacrifice, sexual sin, all kinds of horrible things, which God obviously did not approve of. And because of this lack of spiritual leadership, they saw a rapid descent into idolatry. Because they're living under the dispensation of the law, you remember they're living according to the first five books of the Bible, that God had to judge that. God had to send other nations against them to get their attention and try to draw them back into uh, proper worship of God. God had specific punishments for this rebellion. You can see them in um, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 28 if you want to look it up in your Bible when you get home. And one of these consequences um, for rebelling against God was that God told them his blessing and protection over them would disappear. And they saw this, and you see this throughout the history. You can read it in 2 Chronicles, 2 Kings, um, throughout the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. You can see it throughout all the prophets there that these nations kept sinning against them, kept trying to stick their thumb in, in God's eyes. And there's been endless war, endless plundering from other nations coming against them. Um, God's doing this to try to draw them back to them, but they refused. They were stubborn and just kept even getting worse and worse. And so as a consequence of having all this war and a consequence of having all this, this strife and all these um, nations raiding them all the time, a lot of the men are being killed. There's actually beginning to be a disproportionate amount of men versus women there. And um, as a consequence of losing these battles, the remaining women and children were taken as slaves and taken as wives to the conquering armies. So if they weren't killed, they were taken as slaves, and then those children were raised in homes where the father there didn't care anything about them. Does that sound like something that might be happening today? Moms raising children by themselves or around men that are not the dads? And what's happening in our culture because of that? Absolute chaos, right? I mean, we hear, we hear the kind of the dark humor we, um, calling Chicago Chirac because of all the gang violence there. Even closer, many areas in Milwaukee. This last week, I saw it several times in the ER with, with, with kids that were raised that way or that were in the ER for overdoses with police presence and and you go to the big cities, you have gangs that replaces the family and they lead hundreds of children to death and destruction. And it's all because of a lack of fathers in the home. This crisis of fatherhood seen in our culture is the same crisis of fatherhood that is seen in Isaiah's day. And therefore this title is given to Jesus and very deliberately by God. Because he's demonstrating his incredible love and incredible foreknowledge in giving us this title that during a day that we most need it in our history. Isaiah describes what this father will look like, a father that all of us long for and need in our lives. 
And the first thing we see is that this father is everlasting. I once knew a child whose mother and father had split up. The breakup was very tumultuous, very, very hard on the family. They, they came from a, a tradition where people don't divorce. You know, there's a, that was like the first divorce ever in that family. And, and it was very difficult on everyone. About three or four years after being apart and living separate lives, separate boyfriends, girlfriends on each side and all that, they decided to get back together. Well, the family was overjoyed, held a huge celebration. They came together and, we, and everybody celebrated. And, you know, the child that was involved with this, with this uh, family um, was just overjoyed. He's going to have a real family again. He wouldn't be picked on at school anymore for being one of those kids that had to go to the special class for divorced kids and all that. And he's just really happy. Well, the next morning after the party, he hears his mom in her room crying. Well, the dad had left. And the child was devastated, just absolutely crushed. All the dreams about having a normal family again were just slapped away. And this child needs to hear about the everlasting father that we have in God. That's why this is one of the most important applications of this title for us. Every one of us at some point in our lives has had a person that we trusted or looked up to fail us or leave us. However, Jesus promises that he will never leave us. He will never, ever forsake us. And he uses the imagery of this good father, this everlasting father, to describe what he wants in relationship with us. God's design for fatherhood means the following. The Hebrew word for father means strength. It means strong. It implies knowledge and intelligence and goodness. It's a word meant to, to, um, to have something to aspire to. A father is something, if, you're, if it's being done right, it's something that you, I want to be like my dad because he is just such an awesome guy. This is a promise that we see in the Messiah's coming to earth. Not only to restore what this idea of fatherhood is, but to be that father to a world that has completely lost this idea. What Jesus provides for us as a father is this. Number one, he, he provides an example for us. It's been said that 90% of what children learn from their parents is caught, not taught. In other words, it's how you have lived before the child is how your child is generally going to turn out. It's also the hardest part about being a parent, isn't it? Those of us who have raised children, it's the absolute hardest part to live the way that you want them to be 24-7, 365, no matter what's going on in your life. When you're a parent, you're not allowed to have a bad day. Because as soon as you do something, your kid's going to pick right up on it. I, you know, growing up, I, did, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And, and my dad uh, had, uh, had a very lively vocabulary. And, of course, he, he was in the Coast Guard when he moved to Kenosha. They had like a reception for the new people coming in to, that were transferred into his Coast Guard station. And... and uh, 
And the commander of the Coast Guard station kind of squatted down and, and like shook my hand. He goes, what do you think, how, what does your dad think about moving around in here? And I told him in very profane terms exactly what my dad thought of, of coming and being a part of this Coast Guard. It was a good thing, but it was like bleepity bleep great, you know. And, and it was something I just caught from my dad because that's what I was hearing all the time. And that, that is, it's so true in, in being a parent as they always seems to uh, pick up your bad stuff. It's also immensely harder for you, if I could be honest, when you're in some position of church leadership, because not only are you trying to set an example for your family, but the entire church that your kids are going to. Because guess what? Your kids will tell the other kids when you lost your temper. Your kids will tell the other kids when, when you did something that you weren't supposed to. And this is why you never place your faith in a human. I would never want anyone here to place your faith in me. I mean, I'm a human just like you. I get tired just like you. I get discouraged just like you. I get feeling hopeless sometimes just like you. I even came this close to losing my temper this week with a combative person. I got in his face. I wanted to... I wanted to box. <laughs> and I never get like that either. I don't know where that came from. I'm spending some time in prayer about that. But I just wanted to get in his face. and So, you know, I, I'm going to fail you. If you watch any one of us closely enough or long enough, and I've hung around enough pastors to say that this is universal, we're all going to fail you sooner or later. We're all going to fail to live up to the ideals that we believe in. It's just part of our human nature. But this is why Jesus is our example. This is why Jesus is called the everlasting father. This is why even us in the, in the modern Protestant church don't call the pastor father. We want to always point you to the father above, not to us. I want no attention given to me, except when I'm t speaking to you. But, <laughs> but otherwise, you really need to be looking to God. The second thing that Jesus provides for us as our Father is strength. I like watching weightlifting videos. And I was watching a weightlifting video this last week of Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was competing for Mr. Universe back in the 70s. And if you don't know what that is, it's the big bodybuilding contest, the big muscles and you know, they're, they're doing all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, I really focused on my abdomen for years. That's why I have this. It's super developed abdominal muscle. 10,000 sit-ups a day and you can be just like this. Yes, I'm kidding. But as I listen to all the work, all the sacrifice, and all the 4 a.m. wake-ups to do two to three hours of gym in the morning, at least an hour or two in the afternoon, and then two to three hours at night after he finished working his job he he worked to be that sort that big strong man and he did all of that to win a title that only lasts for a year and it's a title that there's no way he could hang on to as his body aged this last year with working 50 or this last year with turning 50 i started to see that in my own health working 24 hours in a row isn't as easy as it used to be I used to be able to work 24 hours in a row, 48 hours in a row. One time I worked 162 hours in a row. I was on duty. And I used to be able to do things like that. Nope, 24 hours, I'm... <laughs> it's just, it's getting really hard now. And the, 
In the last five years, working Saturday night and then staying awake for Sunday is getting harder. But we see this in the life of Jesus, though, of, of how he is to be our strength. In Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus after John had a period of doubting who Jesus was. John had been locked up in prison for several months, and his faith is starting to be stretched in some uncomfortable ways. Now, if you did everything in your life exactly how God wanted you to do, and you end up in prison, do you think your faith would be stretched? You know, don't be too hard on John here. We're not talking about three hots and a cot and a TV in your bedroom. We're talking about a Roman or, a, or even Jewish jail where you are living in a cave, cold, wet, starving, chained to a wall. Okay, this, is, this isn't modern prison. He is actually suffering here in Herod's dungeons. So he's been locked up there for several months. And so he asks his disciples, he goes, look, this is not cool for me, okay? You guys need to go out and say, hey, Jesus, did I miss it? Jesus, are you the guy that's supposed to be coming? Because let me be honest with you, this really stinks here, okay? So he sends his disciples out, and they ask him a question. They say, are you the Messiah? John wants to know, are you the Messiah? But the question that John's asking is not the one he wants answered. His real question is, you know, as we said, Jesus, I'm in prison. When are you going to do something about that? You're supposed to be the Messiah. Messiah is supposed to set the captives free. I'm a captive. I don't know if I have the strength to deal with this imprisonment any longer. Jesus skips the stated question and deals with the real question. John, or Jesus tells John's disciples in Matthew 11, verse 4, he said, Go back and report to John what you see or hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cure, cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. That's what he sent back to John. A few verses later, he speaks to all of us. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, when he speaks to all of us regarding him being the strength, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my burden, or for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And that's the good gospel news for us this morning, is you don't need to be strong. Jesus is. You don't need to cowboy up. You know, we say that a lot sometimes. In the military, we used to say that all the time. Cowboy up. Or we say it in the fire service sometimes if we're getting tired. Cowboy up, dude. we got to get this done. You don't need to cowboy up. Because Jesus is the strongest strong man who has ever existed. You don't need to just suck it up and drive on. Because Jesus is willing, able, and begging you to let him carry that burden. He is begging you to take up his yoke because he takes the big side, you take the toothpick side, and then he carries that load for you. Surrender this to Jesus and let his strength be your strength. And the last thing that Jesus provides for us is the real reason that he came to this earth. 
And that's to bring us new life. We finish this lesson today where we began, describing Jesus as the everlasting Father. And that's a father's job, is to bring new life into the world. And that's Jesus' job, is to bring new life into your spirit. We're reminded of this in the most famous scripture in the entire Bible, that says, For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God has no condemnation for you this morning. He wants you to come to him. That's why he says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Our everlasting Father comes to bring us everlasting life. And Jesus is not like earthly fathers. Earthly fathers who may fail you someday. He's the perfect unchangeable and loving Father that we all need and we all want. So this Christmas season, I encourage you to shut off the TV, shut off the cell phone, shut off all that extraneous stuff, and just sit and say, God, can you show me the wonder of you coming to earth again? Jesus, can you just come into my life in a new way? Heal all that stuff that this world has thrown at me. The world is like throwing darts at us all the time, and some of them stick. Ask Jesus to pull them out and bring healing to those wounds. And let Jesus be the Father he wants to be for everyone here. Hallelujah. Let's rise. Hallelujah. Lord, that is my prayer for everyone here today. Whether it's a, a bad father experience that they've had in their life or, or just something in this life that has been beating them down, maybe it's illness, maybe it's, it's mental health things, maybe it's, it's a spiritual attack. Whatever it may be, Lord, show yourself mighty in their life. Be the strong, everlasting father that you need to be in every life here. Lord God, I just ask that you just lift up our eyes off this world. Lift up the, our eyes away from the chaos that is our lives. And let us see you for who you really are. The source of all peace, the source of all strength, the source of all comfort. Lord God, I just pray that over your people now. And I ask that you just set their hearts free from all those burdens, and let them take up your burden, Lord. Father God, I thank you. I bless your people now. I pray that they have the most wonderful Christmas that they can possibly have, and let them shine the light of Jesus to all those who don't know you. Father God, I bless them now, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you.